Welcome to Conversations with Big Rich. This is an interview-style podcast. Those interviews are all involved in the off-road industry. Being involved, like all of my guests are, is a lifestyle, not just a job. I talk to competitive teams, racers, rock crawlers, business owners, employees, media, and private park owners, men and women who have found their way into this exciting and addictive lifestyle. We discuss their personal history, struggles, successes, and reboots. We dive into what drives them to stay active and off-road. We all hope to shed some light on how to find a path into this world we live and love and call off-road. Whether you're crawling the Red Rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two. Maxxis tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxxis tires deliver. Choose Maxxis. Dread victoriously. Have you seen Four Low Magazine yet? Four Low Magazine is a high-quality, well-written, four-wheel drive-focused magazine for the enthusiast market. If you still love the idea of a printed magazine, something to save and read at any time, Four Low is the magazine for you. Four Low cannot be found in stores, but you can have it delivered to your home or place of business. Visit fourlowmagazine.com to order your subscription today. On today's episode of Conversations with Big Rich, we have Dan DeBoys. Am I pronouncing that right, Dan? DeBose. DeBose. Okay. Dan DeBose. You know, that it depends on what part of the country you're from or what you're not, you're, how your parents said it. It can be said 10 different ways when it comes to a, the D and something else. <laughs> so <laughs> there we are. Hey, Dan is, uh, he was the founder of Blue Torch Fabworks, and now he is running Motobuilt. And another company, we're going to get into all that. Dan and I have been friends for actually quite a while, and a lot of people out there know Dan. So, Dan, thank you for coming on board and uh, spending some time with us. Yeah, man, absolutely. Thanks for uh, having me on. So, real easy question to start off with. Where were you born and raised? I was born and raised in southern Alabama in a little town called Dothan. And it seems like uh, we put Dothan on the map in the off-road industry with Blue Torch Fabworks back in the day. And Absolutely. I mean, I've tried to move away a few times throughout my life, but I always end up back in this area. That's pretty cool. It is a small town. I visited before um, under Blue Torch when you guys were like in your first or second building. And uh, I was really impressed with the city and, you know, the whole uh, atmosphere and everything. Is it still... Small townish, or have you made it grow too big? Uh, Dothan's been growing quite a bit. I mean, I'd say it's a little bit different than when you were here. Okay. More population, there's a lot more development and things like that happening. So, good little town. That's that's not a bad thing. So, what was uh, what was growing up for you like in Dothan? Man, I grew up uh, in a neighborhood called Ford Country. It wasn't like the poor neighborhood it wasn't the rich neighborhood it was just kind of the average american neighborhood kids out riding bikes till i don't know the hours of the night <laughs> um yeah it was you know hop on your bicycle and you know i don't know i'd 
even go many miles away during the day and didn't have anyone wondering where I was or worried about if somebody was going to get me. It was a safe environment. Right. Made a lot of friends and, and, uh, had a great time. And was school something that was easy or you just didn't care or, you know, what was it, what was it like? School for me, um, I was bored and it just got to the point where I didn't care. So I started skipping school and actually failed a grade from not going. So yeah, that, didn't, that didn't turn out too good. So if you got somebody's young in school and listening, don't skip school. <laughs> right. Because no matter what you try to do, they're going to try to, they're going to get you back in it. Yeah. It was, uh, growing up probably I was in the third grade. I used to ride BMX, race BMX, stuff like that. And I was practicing like gate starts on my driveway and ended up going through a plate glass window in our backyard garage and cut my throat. Um, pretty much just about killed me. I was in the hospital for close to three months. They told my parents I probably wasn't going to live, things like that, but made it through that, continued to ride bikes, got into skateboards, doing crazy stuff after that still. But um, school, I guess, uh, was second you know, to other things I had going on. And I guess that's where like the learning the fabrication skills and things like that came in. There were a lot of times I just skipped school, stayed at home, and worked in the backyard garage building things. Right. And did you try to, in school when you were there, did you try to, you know, especially later on, I, I don't know if you guys had shop classes or anything, but did you take any of that kind of stuff? Well, like eighth grade, I had the guidance counselor tell me, well, we're not going to let you pass and go to high school unless you agree to go to trade school. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I ended up taking uh, electrical trades of all things and learned to wire houses and do commercial wiring and things like that. Got pretty good at it. And, you know, I mentioned, you know, failing me and getting in trouble for skipping. Um, it's kind of a bad thing. Kind of got kicked out of school and ended up working for a local company wiring houses with no GED and no high school diploma for a, probably close to a year. I was, you know, looking around at people I worked with, things like that, thinking, man, I'm better than this. I'm smarter than this you know, I'm screwing up. So I think the man that owned the company kind of caught the vibe that I had that I wanted to go back to school. Well, he laid me off that Christmas and I looked across the desk from him. He was kind of worried what I was going to say. I was like, Oh, I thanked him. I was like, thank you. And I immediately went back, got my high school diploma, went back, got back in high school and did that through a private school and immediately went to college after that. So Got my life turned around a little bit there. Haven't wired a house since. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good thing. Now you can hire people to do your buildings and stuff. That's that's a much better way to do it. Help. Yeah, the I kind of keep uh, keep my electrical knowledge, you know, to myself. So uh, we have a full time maintenance person and some other people here at the shop. I just don't tell them I can do it. You know, they just go handle it. So but it is helpful to kind of know what they're doing and how long it should take and things like that. So, right. but I think I, I did gain some good skills from the instructor I had in, in the vocational school in high school, uh, a guy named Rusty Griffin. I think I learned more about life skills from him during that time than 
then I did electrical and I still kind of reflect back on him during that process. Okay. That's awesome. Um, is it somebody that you have touched bases with over the years? I've ran into him, uh, from time to time. Like if I'd see he and his wife out to dinner, I'd usually just pay for their dinner and not say anything and walk out the door. Oh, that's awesome. But, yeah. Um, he called me out on all my bull crap back then skipping school and, you know, it's more like a father figure to me than, than a instructor. That's really good when you can, when you, especially for a young man, when you can find somebody that's that way. Um, and hopefully you'd, you know, if, if any, if anybody's listening to this and your kids are, are having problems, man, if there is somebody else that can, they can help with the guidance by all means, if it's a friend, another family member, a teacher, you know, reach out to them mm -hmm. because a lot of times kids just don't want to listen to their parents. No, I think, you know, I grew up just my dad and I, my dad was a, a great guy. I mean, wasn't very educated, but worked his butt off. And, you know, it was helpful though, just hearing points of view from other people. My dad that, you know, work ethic in life is one thing I took from him, just work, work like crazy. But, um, you know, he took a very hardcore approach to work and, you know, so it was helpful having guidance from people outside of that too. Right. Have you, uh, have you ever done any mentoring yourself with anybody? I have, I've taken interest in people that a few people along the way that have worked for us and, you know, kind of sharing things that I've learned from entrepreneurial spirit to like how to get ahead in life to managing finances and investing and things like that. And just overall like motivation and you know, pretty much explaining if anybody's going to do it, you are right. And no one else is going to do it for you. Very true. Very true. So what, uh, when you went back and, and got your high school diploma and then you said you went to college, what kind of courses did you take in college? Well, when I went to college, you know, like I mentioned, I didn't really grow up around money, things like that. I mean, we struggled a lot growing up and I was like, well, what kind of jobs do you get where you make a lot of money and people respect you? So, I, you know, in college, my goal was to go to law school. So got into... Might make a lot of money, but I don't know if people respect that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, at the time, I mean, you know, where I grew up with you know, just working class type life. It was like, okay, a doctor or a lawyer. Those are like the two big ones. And I was like, I have no interest in being a, a doctor. So let's do the lawyer thing. So that was kind of my, my goal all through undergrad. And at the very last semester, I actually went to University of Alabama at Birmingham, which is where I got into off-roading and things like that. We can touch back on that in a moment. But at UAB, my last semester or so, after taking constitutional law and doing all this stuff and talking to some of my fraternity brothers that were in law school and a couple of them that had just graduated law school, I was like, Man, I can't picture myself doing what they're explaining. And all through college, I had built bumpers and things for Jeeps and stuff like that and never dawned on me to do that for a business. And... So I graduated college and went to work for a pharmaceutical company. And I was actually a pharmaceutical rep selling drugs of all things. <laughs> Legal. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Not as much money in that. 
<laughs> no, I mean, I made good money for, I mean, 27 years old back then, working, doing that, making well over six figures and building Jeep parts on the side. It was, uh, it was good times. Yep. But I hated the job. I was selling an antidepressant. And um, I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself here in the store, in, no, right. in, the, in this, but. Uh, I recall leaving a doctor's office one day and I, we'd been talking about like symptoms of depression and reading some clinical studies on the particular one that, that um, I sold. I was thinking about all the symptoms sitting there in the car and looking in the mirror. I'm like, man, I got that symptom. I got this one. I got this one. Man, my life sucks. I hate doing this. I should probably try some samples in the backseat. <laughs> I think it was like at that moment, like, yeah, I should probably just be building Jeep parts for a living. Good decision. Yep. <laughs> But, but yeah, I mean, you know, backing up, I think, you know, leaving the electrical job and ending up at, in Birmingham, going to college, that's where I was introduced to like jeeping and off-roading. And there were a lot of trails and, and uh, a Jeep community that we didn't have in Dothan at the time and um, got my first Jeep. And I, really where all this started, I had some fabrication skills from working in the shop growing up and I wanted bumpers and I wanted to lift a Jeep and do things like that. And I was looking through magazines and dreaming of purchasing lift kits and bumpers and things. And I didn't have any money to do any of that. So like my Christmas breaks and spring break and stuff like that, I just go home and build my own bumpers and did my own spring over and did all that stuff. And I guess that's kind of the start of where we are now. And so going you know you're you're working as a you know doing sales with pharmaceuticals and then mm -hmm. you're on you know sidelight work you know you're you're doing bumpers and stuff or and then building jeep parts and then you just one day that's it i'm gonna go do this well there's a little bit more to that story okay when i was working for the pharmaceutical company even before i got that job i had a little shop behind the forklift shop I just listened to a podcast where you were on with James and he'd mentioned that little shop and that was kind of the part-time little business. And I, ha I put up a website called blue torch Fabworks that then nobody knew who it was, but on the website I put on there, this isn't a business. Don't call me. I'm just putting pictures of cool stuff that I build. I mean, technically it was a business. I just didn't have enough time to do stuff for everybody. And so we kind of operated it that way for a couple of years. And then, one day I was out of town for my drug rep job and got a phone call and I thought it was somebody messing with me. It was someone on the other end saying, Hey, uh, we're with the original productions and we do monster garage. We want you to come on and do the rock crawling. And I'm like, man, I'm busy. I've got to get to work. Bye. And I hung up on them because I really thought somebody was messing with me and <laughs> they, they immediately called back and started. They were like, no, I'm not messing with you. I'm, I'm being serious. I'm like, whoever this is or whoever put you up to it, man, I'm late for, for work right now. And I hung up on them again. They called me back for a third time. And then that's when I got to talking to them and they were for real. Unfortunately, I was unable to go do the rock crawler on monster garage due to some work, um, things that we had going on. We were in the middle of launching a uh, new drug at the time called Lexapro. And I had to be in, at the national meeting for that kickoff launch and all that. So I wasn't able to take off work and go do it. Um, 
fast forward probably three months later um they called and asked me to do a tv show called drive shaft which would air on fx and later air on the speed channel for a little while back around 2003 and it was during that time when they called me back when i had that kind of epiphany of man i'm selling an antidepressant and i've become depressed from hating this job so much so I negotiated a pay rate that I was acceptable with to do that TV show. And that's when I turned in my notice and quit and flew out to California to Long Beach on an Easter Sunday to start that TV show the following Monday. Interesting. And that's when Blue Torch went from a little part-time, don't call me, I'm not a business, to we're a business when I returned about eight months later back to Alabama. Awesome. And uh, during that time, um, did you meet a lot of other, I would imagine you met a lot of other fabricators and stuff. Was that kind of the premise of the show or? Yeah, the show, the premise of it was absolutely fabrication. And there were two teams on the show. You'd build things during the week and compete on the weekends. And each week you would have a, a specialist or, or professional in whatever given area you're working on. Like one week we turned a car into a boat. So they had like some boat experts. One week we built a sand rail. So we had sand rail experts, which was Troy Johnson from the fab school. Right. And Troy at the time, this was way before he started the fab school. He had a little shop uh, and building sand rails and things like that. And he and I became pretty good friends over the years. And then when, um, he started the fab school. We continued our relationship. We started hiring people from there at Blue Torch, but also met the the brothers from Anarchy um, out there. They were building like pre-runner trucks and things like that. And I picked up a few new fab skills from Troy and those guys, like things that, you know, working in my small little world, teaching pretty much teaching myself everything. It was like, wow, man, if I could be around some people like this, my, my learning curve would be better. Right. So certainly uh opened up some doors i met quite a few people at cartech and corona um to be able to get parts easier and um, i was able to go visit a lot of those places during that eight months i was out so you know didn't even know cartech existed until i was out there yeah there's there's a lot of companies like that on the west coast and especially back then when when the internet was still so raw right yeah, it was more magazine-based and everything at that point still, yep. and very small world. Um, yeah, especially for, like, out here on the East Coast with automotive fabrication, stuff like that, just there really wasn't anybody doing it, and hard to go ask questions, or you, know, you just kind of had to figure it out on your own back then. No internet to go Google search something. So after the show and you get back to Dothan, you get a little more serious about uh, the business aspect, I guess, right? Yeah. When I returned, I already had probably about 40 or so products that were ready to be manufactured and selling on the website. I knew at some point that I would do that. So some of the projects that we were building back then, I'd already started collecting those items to put up for sale. So within probably a week of my returning, the website had parts on it and we were already selling parts. Um, were you doing the website work yourself? Man, I was so broke. I did everything myself. Website. I did get some help, like designing parts and CAD a little bit from a couple friends early on, and then ended up hiring people because I didn't really know how to do that part of it. I just knew how to go hand make everything. 
um, eventually taught myself SolidWorks and 3D CAD and was able to do a lot of that myself now. But back then it was like all the Photoshop stuff, all the website stuff, had to teach myself how to code the website, do Photoshop to make magazine ads, all of it. Just, it was a lot of long hours, which, uh, definitely take their toll on you after so many years. Correct. And during that time, you got pretty heavily involved with uh, like Pirate 4x4? Yeah, the first probably two years, I was just lurking on Pirate and didn't want to get involved because I wanted to let the company grow at a pace where I could have product, ship it in in a reasonable amount of time because I was bootstrapping it, just pretty much funding the whole thing out of my own pockets didn't have like bank funding or anything like that. And so it's probably two years into it. It's like, okay, we're ready. We've got parts on the shelf. Let's, let's start doing it on pirate. So we started advertising on there and things started to really grow really fast. We had a good product offer and, and, uh, started to get a lot of attention. I think it it sounds to me that like, talking with a lot of others that that pirate was pretty instrumental at, at kind of like the right time in everybody's life. Um, I know it was, it made me advertising for our rock crawls a lot easier because that's where the enthusiasts were at. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, during that time too, there was a big paradigm shift going from people purchasing things that bolt on on a Saturday on their driveway, you know, like a, chrome roll bar in the back of their pickup truck and things like that it transitioned and i think a lot of it had to do with the motorcycle mania show that jesse james did you know like before that show i was doing fab work nobody wanted to come over people in college called me a grease monkey and things like that and you know with a show like that coming on tv it really taught people that metal fabrication is an art it's a skill it's you know it it's not something for everyone kind of thing and I think a lot of that really helped transform what was happening on pirate at the time. And it was during that time too, with all the builder parts that had amassed to launch as a product line, everything that we built back then required someone to do something to it when they got it. Meaning, you know, they had to weld on it or they may even have to cut on it and grind or, or whatever. So it helped with that whole mentality back then. And it's still kind of, is persuasive now or and that's absolutely bought or built not bought right and you know and again there's been a paradigm shift like we were discussing earlier in our conversation where you know now people you know back then it was like the experience i want to get a welder i want to get a tube bender and build cool stuff and that's my experience and i think a little bit of the paradigm shift in the off-road industry now is more of the experience about adventuring you know, those types of memories and more people are wanting things that are more complete where they bolt on versus the heavy fab work. So certainly see a little bit of that, I guess, coming full circle back to that a little bit. Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. Yeah. I I'm definitely seeing it. And you know, that's my, even though we're retiring, it's from the competition scene, I'm not getting out of off-road. Right. And, and I won't get out of off-road until I can't drive anymore. That's the way I look at it. <laughs> right. I just well, may drive ingrained. a little differently. <laughs> yeah. That's definitely ingrained in me. I, I, you know, we sold, or I sold Blue Torch in 2009. 
and had a three-year non-compete and i was like well man I, I probably won't do it again as a business i'll just do it for fun now and it was probably like a year later it was like my god i miss it i want to build stuff i want to do things for people i want to build cool stuff i got two more years will this ever end <laughs> and during those two years when you made that realization were you planning a comeback uh first year no second year i thought about it third year yes i started planning i was working in iraq on a government contract working at the u.s embassy in baghdad and that's where worked on the motor built name the website worked on a few new products but my you know we were talking about paradigm shifts and like things right. how how the industry changed well me as a person changed too during blue torch days i wanted to build cool stuff the business just happened to grow along with you know putting together a cool team to help me build stuff like bender and matt and jane schofield and red and everyone else like we had pretty much the a team in the industry i feel like building really cool stuff and the focus wasn't really building a good core solid business to go forward with well during that year of planning with Motobuilt, you know, it's like, okay, I'm a little older now. Cool stuff. That's cool. But, you know, I want to build a good, solid financial future for myself and all the people that work for us or that would be working for me during this go around. So the focus shifted more toward building a really cool business versus just go build really cool stuff, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Making something that's more sustainable. Correct. You know, then it was more, let's go, everything we built was a custom buggy and we would end up with parts to sell off of it. Whereas this go around, you know, it's more, okay, let's go buy all the manufacturing equipment, bring it all in-house. Let's find a good product line that the people want. Not so much build exactly what I want to do on everything, but build what people want and let's go do that and go do it very well. I think that's a much better business plan. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, you know, I, my wife, she reminds me of it every now and then because we'll have customers, you know, call and ask and, Hey, do you guys build this? Do you guys build this? And, and I'm like, there's no freaking way I'm going to build that. That's dumb, you know? And she's like, well, that's what the people want. So I found myself bending a little bit because of that, you know, like, it's not always about what I want to do or what I think is cool. Right. I know that there's a, somebody that we, we all know that's in the industry that, uh, like he says, he goes, you know, I don't care if, if the hardcore guys like it, if I've sold this many units, there's enough people out there to like it, that love it and want it on their Jeeps. And right. he's dead right. You know, whether, whether we like, you know, that product and would ever put it on our own stuff doesn't matter because there's people out there with credit cards and cash that are buying that product because they think it's cool. Yeah, at the end of the day, you create that financial stability for your, your team and yourself. That's what matters. You know, like I take it very serious. You know, everyone that works for us, their wife, their kids. Um everyone like those are all my families i've got to take care of them and we we absolutely look at it that way how that, did how did the, to get there how did the sale 
of Blue Torch come about? Was it something you guys were just working along and and somebody walked up and said, "Hey, you know, do you want to sell this business to me?" Or did you actively look to get to get out at that point? I wasn't actively looking to get out. Um, Jason had approached me in 2007, and he. He's a guy from Pasadena, California. He was living in Birmingham, Alabama. I didn't know him. He had visited a uh, fab stock event where we built Aaron Peters Jeep on pirate for him back then for free. Had like a big fab day where people came in from all over the country. Well, he had visited that particular event. A little later, he called me and said, hey, I'd like to open a shop with your name in Birmingham, like a retail store. But he just kind of caught me at the right time. Like I was a little bit burnt out like trying to struggle between, Hey, I want to build cool stuff and Hey, I need to worry about P and L statements, you know? Right. So, you know, it's like, I don't want to worry about P and L statements. I want to build cool stuff. And so I called him back uh, probably a few weeks later and said, Hey, you know, I would rather just sell you part of the company and let you run that part of it. And just let me build cool stuff and focus on what I kick ass at. And so that's how that deal started. And so I sold him half the company. We moved to Birmingham and we we're operating there. And, you know, I found myself out in the shop working crazy hours, like 20 hours a day, building like one particular project, the KOH car that we built. Then I started on it like um, around Halloween. And I didn't come back to Dothan to visit family until after the KOH race. So, I came home, I'm sorry, for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. That was it. I remember being in the shop on New Year's Eve, like firecrackers and gunshots going off in downtown Birmingham, and I'm in there working away. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it it was a hell of a time. But, I mean, I spent so many hours in there working on that car by myself. I ended up bringing uh, Red down from Salt Lake City, Utah. He uh, worked for us at Blue Torch helping build chassis, so called him up and he came down for a couple of weeks to help me finish out on a few things. And, but I mean, I'm not taking away any, anything from like Jay Clegg or James Schofield or anybody that was working with us. They, they pitched in a good bit on that car, but man, I was like seven days a week, 20 hours a day, a lot of time on that thing. And then kind of just burned myself out through that process. And I was, we were out at the hammers that year racing the car was doing really good. Um, the car had a little bit of an accident pre-running a couple of days before. So I think it was probably about halfway through the race that year. We were kind of on the leaderboard at that point and the car lost a rear unit bearing, which uh, timed us out. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, I just spent three months of my life building a car, singular focus to make it halfway through a race. And you know, it was, I think in that moment, like, I think I'm done. I need to figure out a different way to do this. And we returned back to Alabama and uh, basically cut the roof off the car and the back end and lengthened it and changed the roof line and stuff like that to prepare for the Vegas Dorino thousand mile race with that car. And we got the car out there and it was pretty much we left and came home from that and then made the deal with Jason and I was out probably a month later that September of 2009. And that was a complete walk away. Yeah, I was done. Like I'm out. And it was, uh, 
very, uh, I don't know how to explain it, maybe liberating a little bit, like it felt good some, but it also felt like turning around and walking away from a baby, if you will. Right. And but I'd spent so many hours in the shop and neglecting like my kids and things like that. Like I kind of regretted some of that stuff. And I went from never like taking my daughter to school and never putting her hair in a ponytail. Didn't know how to do any of that. So now I'm at home working from home for about three months. And like the, the first day I'm there by myself and I'm going to take her to school. I didn't know how to do hair in a ponytail. I was kind of <laughs> completely freaked out. I'm like, um, I can go build a car, but I don't know how to do a ponytail. So, <laughs> but yeah, it was, uh, I know, I know that feeling that you were just talking about, about, you know, that, that liberating. And then with the sale of, of, you know, Jake Good coming into We Rock and him taking over all the, the duties at the event, you know, the, the, the unloading of the trailer and setting everything up and, you know, getting, you know, get, running the event. And then when the event is over, packing it all up and heading off to the next, the next event for us. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was the part that was becoming more difficult, harder and harder and harder. I always love the people. Um, right. I love the challenge of the chess game against the, the teams and using the train as a chessboard. And, you know, I love that part of it, but man, that, that physical labor part just it just wore on me and, you know, and after 22, 23 years, it was like, okay, I got it. I got to stop. And with Jake taking over now, I mean, we didn't, Shelly and I didn't even go to the Tennessee event this last week because yeah. not stuck in California, but we're in California helping right. with my parents and their health. And it's, uh, I'm, I'm good with it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied. I'm not like, man, I'm Jones and I need to have to do this at least so far, you know? So yeah, I, I can relate to that. I mean, priorities change a bit and you know, your focus changes a bit. Um, you know, it was like a mixed, a big ball of mixed emotions when I left, you know, blue torch. So it was like happy, happy, happy. Like, Oh man, this sucks. You know, happy, happy. This sucks. You know, like, got this big hole in my life you know that's kind of for lack of better words like being in the industry and building things and running a business is like hey man that's part of what defines who i am and now who am i and i spent a little bit of time trying to figure that out you know so i think you know once that non-compete ended with blue torch and jason like that december 2012 i turned the website on and ran motobuilt for part-time until 2014 and then in 14 it's like okay i think i do want to do this i'm going to keep it small and manageable and have a few people and just do it really good and then i start doing it i was like well i don't go halfway on anything ever so (laughs) let's take the brakes off of this and let's go and so that's what we did I mean, people laugh at me because there's plenty of people in the off-road industry that were like, hey, man, are you going to do it big again? I'm like, no, I'm going to keep it small. And then they kind of laugh a little bit. And then you know, I've gotten called out on it quite a few times. Like, hey, man, I thought you were going to keep that small. <laughs> exactly. uh, I guess like, like 85,000 square feet and 75 employees and pushing a half million pounds of steel through here a month. That, that's small. I want to be bigger. That's still small. <laughs> It might be small in most manufacturing 
or some manufacturing, but for yeah. the off-road world, it's pretty dang big. Yeah. Well, people are like, you know, have you accomplished your goals? I'm like, well, I'll never accomplish my goals. I'm the kind of person that give me a mountain to climb. I'll climb the mountain, but I'm going to look at the next mountain and go, okay, we're going there. Let's go. And yeah, that's a, an advantage, but it's also a big disadvantage, you know, meaning, you know, never satisfied. Just want to keep going. want to keep pushing want to keep doing more. And you know, I don't look at other companies and think, oh, I'm competing with them. You know, other companies look at me and think they're competing with me. It's not that I'm better than their company. I don't even think about them. I'm competing with myself. Right. Like me and, you know, I've got personal goals. I've got things that I want to prove to myself and, and that's it. I don't feel like I have to prove anything to anybody. That's good. So say somebody is listening to this. And they're going, man, I want to, I want to do that. I want to get into, into manufacturing or, you know, designing parts, that kind of stuff. What do you suggest the steps that somebody should take? Not necessarily, you know, if it's the right ones, you know, the ones that you took, but what would you think would be the best way for somebody to get started? Man, that's a tough question because I think it really starts with the person. I remember a guy from Dirt Sport Magazine was out visiting Blue Torch one time. And after dinner, we'd pulled back up to the shop. And he's like, hey, Dan, I'd like some business advice. I'd like to start a business. You, you, you seem to do very well with it, you know, creating a brand and getting going. And I've got this idea. I want to do this. And I just looked at him. I was like, man, let me stop you right there. You need to answer one question. Are you willing to give up everything? And he's like, yeah, I am. I'm like, no, you didn't listen to the question. This is a question you can't answer sitting right here. You need to go home. You need to sit in the dark. You need to like really decide, are you willing to give up everything? Because everything means everything means everything. Because the reason why I say that most people fail going into business because they already have outs. They already have reasons why they're going to quit. They'll be, Hey, I'll start a business. You know, if I'm not making money within three months, I'll go back to my job. You're going to fail if you have that thought, sir. Okay. Yep. Um, you know, so you can't go into business working for yourself with any kind of outs, any kind of doubts. You have to go into business thinking no matter what happens, no matter what comes my way, I will figure it out. And you know, it, the how word is where so many people get caught up. Like, how am I going to do it? So a lot of people, they don't even start in business because they're like, I don't have enough money. You know, I don't, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do that. So, I mean, they carry that thought into a business when they start it. You know, honestly, if you really want to do it bad enough, you're going to figure it out. Like that how is not important. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I can relate to that. Yep. I mean, when so, I started Calrox, I had to get my first entry fee in cash so I could open a bank account and get a business license. Yeah. I mean, that's how I mean, broke I was. <laughs> yeah. I started Blue Torch with like 3000 bucks and a hope, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's like, okay, I'm going to go do this. Everybody around me tells me it's going to fail. Everybody around me can't see the direction I'm going to go, but you know, you have to tune all that out. 
and you know but i don't want people listening to think oh just go do it and figure it out because it's not it's not meant for everyone you know that there's a lot of people that go create a very bad financial future for themselves just to go jump out there and do that there has to be an educated guest to it as well an educated you know like plan to it don't just go do something and then figure it out like have some kind of plan before you go do it yeah i think people need to research their what they're you know if they have an idea you know you find something that you love doing and you want to make make a career out of it or or a business out of it um you really have to research how that's going to work you just can't say okay I'm going to open the door and it, let's see what happens. Well, I tell people a lot of times when they call me and they're, Hey, I really enjoy doing this. So I want to do this for a business. I'm, and I tell people, if you enjoy doing that, you should go get a job doing that. You shouldn't go start a business doing it because if you start a business doing it, you won't be doing that. You're going to hate it. <laughs> so, you know, that, I think that was the, the difference between blue torch and Motobuilt. But, you know, one bit of advice, I mean, I tell everybody, even people that own a business, there's one particular book that I tell everyone considering going into business or a small business that might be struggling a little bit. It's called The E-Myth Revisited, The Reason Why Most Small Businesses Fail. Hmm. That book talks about some of the stuff like we're talking about. You know, the technician is the person that enjoys doing, say, building rock crawlers. But in order to run a business, you've got to be the technician, you've got to be the manager, and you have to be the entrepreneur. You have to find some way to balance those three roles within a company. And if you want to be the technician and build cool rock crawlers, go get a job building rock crawlers. Do not start a business. What I see is so many people don't understand the business side of things. Right. They they are very creative. They're they're talented but they don't they don't understand what it takes to to make money and keep money you know yeah and- there's a a big disconnect between that technician role and the management role that way and yeah i mean i've had to learn how to be the manager learn how to understand money and and what to do with it um that that is definitely a struggle for a lot of people i learned the hard way <laughs> Me too. Me too. Yeah. Luckily the, you know, I met Shelly and Shelly is great at the business end of things. I mean, mm-hmm. absolutely phenomenal. And, you know, in 2009, I was walking away after that season. I was never going to put on another rock crawling event. I was done. I didn't care if the sport, I didn't care how many other businesses or lives might've been ruined with the sport disappearing. Cause I figured, you know, somebody will pick it up, somebody will do it, but I'm not. And yep. she was retiring from her job and she was like, well, let me help you. You know, you, you seem to be doing this part of it really good. You need help over here. And I'm like, yeah, I do need help over there, but do you realize what you're getting into? You know, it's pretty deep over there. And mm-hmm. she's like, no problem. You know? So, you know, I thought I would be putting on rock crawls until they buried me at the, at the start or finish gate someday. And yeah. uh, now I don't have to do that, you know, because I found the right partner and, and then I married her. <laughs> well, the, the same goes for me. My wife, Hunter, she, uh, 
had been around some during the Blue Torch days. Uh, we were just friends back then. Um, when I started Motobilt, I'd given her a call to help out with some of the administrative end of things so I could focus on still being that technician because I had to be during the early days of Motobilt. And she was around working part-time. Well, life changed for her and me both. We ended up getting married, and she's been a very integral part of the Motobilt process. And our dynamic here is she run like spends her days up front running the the business side of things where I'm out running more of the manufacturing and the engineering and marketing side of our business. So I don't have to focus so much on, hey, is this bill paid or um, is it too much money for this or that? You know, so we make a, a very good team now. And that's important. Yeah. It really is. I think anybody, and, and it's one of the things that I, I didn't have that um, early in my career. You know, I, I had somebody that would come to the events, but yeah. not necessarily be an asset at the events. And, uh, yeah. you know, that, that's, that's changed. And that's, that's yeah. a big you thing. And I, you and I are exactly the same there. Like, man, you know, it is super awesome having, you know, a partner in life where she, understands what I'm thinking, what I'm doing. And, and we're both stride for stride going in the same direction. It's a, uh, it's an awesome thing to have. Yeah. Not fighting you over every minute. Right. And I'll tell you though, like before she and I got together, I mean, I've worked around the clock, worked weekends, just work, 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 and didn't have a very good like work life balance. And I've learned a lot about that work-life balance with her. Like normally I would be walking out the door at five o'clock or slightly after I stuck around today to do this call with you. And, you know, that's one of the things that I really love about her. Like she's helped me change my life where I'm able to enjoy other things in life, not just here now. Right. And, and, uh, with that, you're, you now have more, it's, not just moto built, but you have other facets to the, to the company. Is that correct? Yeah, we have some other stuff. I won't go into all of it on here because you know, some of it just kind of needs to stay private, but right. we, uh, we have another company called Anvil industrial group. We started that basically because I was going and doing consulting work in the industrial sector and I would give someone a motorboat business card with a Jeep on the front of it. And some of the engineers and things that one, one particular company, uh, Berg pipe and down in Panama city, Florida had an issue. I went down there and helped them solve the problem. And, you know, at first they didn't take me very serious and I knew they weren't taking me serious. And I was, we were going to lunch together after that meeting so I took my laptop into the lunch with us and I drew the part in SolidWorks in like five minutes that fixed their multi like thousand dollar problem and said, here you go. This is how you fix it. And all of them were like looking at each other like and then the like uh, and then like the main guy was like, OK, yeah, build that for us. <laughs> and so it was kind of like then is where we needed to have an industrial name. So in the beginning, it was still kind of the same people in Motobilt helping out on the industrial type jobs, but the Anvil side started to grow where we needed to have our own team over there. So now 
Um, we have multiple service trucks like millwrights that are out doing work in sawmills, peanut mills. Um, we're doing government contract type work and a few other things. Um, the company got to be so busy where Hunter and I couldn't manage it anymore. So I actually brought in a managing partner, Kevin. He runs that company for us now. And I'm not involved with day-to-day operations with Anvil anymore. Um, we still own a majority, vast majority of the company, but Kevin's rocking and rolling and making sure things happen. Well, that's great when you can find somebody that does that, that can, that can do that. Excellent. Yeah. And we, and we just gave him ownership in the company. We didn't make him buy in or anything like that. His skill set bought his way in. So, um, he's a huge asset and he's, man, he's doing a phenomenal job with it. Well, that's, that's hell of a motivation too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I've got another company that I want to kind of do the same thing with. And I've, I've been talking to a few different people. We just haven't found the right person for this other venture yet, but hopefully we'll find them soon. Might have to talk offline. I might know people that can help. Yeah, we could do that. Okay. So then in the future, where do you see Dan? Well, at some point I'd like to retire before I'm too old to enjoy myself. And, you know, we've got a lot of very good people within our organization that can rise up and handle day-to-day operations and allow my wife and I to step back a bit. So at some point, I mean, I don't know how many years that'll be when I'm ready to do that. But when I'm ready, I think we're grooming people to be in those positions to do it. Excellent. Um, we'll continue to grow Motobilt. We want to add in some other product lines and things like that. But we're taking a very strategic approach to growth. We don't want to grow so fast that we grow ourselves out of business. And But we're kind of going in the right direction. So we're going to keep doing what we're doing. Excellent. And as long as uh, as they keep producing new vehicles, there's something to uh, to add to the uh, to the skew lines, right? Uh, that's right. Um, but I mean, there's still plenty of stuff to add to existing vehicles and add to the product line. Um, Absolutely. You know, like building the YJ that I'm building for myself, um, posting pictures of that, you wouldn't believe like the amount of social media traffic that we get off of a Jeep YJ. You know, a lot of other companies have forgotten about that, moved on to the JK and the JL and Gladiator and things like that. But I'm still building my roots, you know, back in the YJ days, building big one-ton stuff. But, um, man, parts for, you know, that kind of stuff still sell. But it's also fun to do. Right. So then you have Bender, and he's uh, he's back with you. That was, uh, I thought that was very interesting. Um, yeah, and I thought it was a good, a good move. Bender left in 2008 from Blue Torch when we were lo- relocating it to Birmingham. He relocated back to California to fight for custody for his kids. Right. And you know, after I sold the company, when I started Motobuild, I was like, Hey man, I'm going to need you out here. He's like, well, as soon as my kids graduate from high school and get off on their own, I'll come back. So that's kind of what happened. As soon as they graduated and joined the Navy and that sort of thing, uh, he moved back out here about uh, right at three years ago. And so it was like we never missed a beat. We're back working together. And and that working relationship between he and I, it's very smooth. A lot of times uh, 
we're moving very fluid together when we're working on things like don't have to talk about it like we kind of know what each other are thinking they're doing and it's also good having someone like Bender to uh, bounce some of my crazy ideas off of. Because he has some pretty crazy ideas himself. Yeah, like he, he'll he bring me things all the time talking about stuff. Like, hey, man, I just want to bounce this off of you. And I was like, really, what? What again? What? No, I'm not going to let you shock me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bender's games. But no, um, it is uh, it is a very good dynamic. Like he and I working together and then working with our design staff and, you know, getting new products designed and, um, it's a very good dynamic. And he has enough uh, experience with television shows now that, uh, if you ever wanted to go in that direction at some point, uh, he's a fit. Yeah. Uh, the discovery channel had called us right before COVID got kicked off and we were in some pretty serious conversations about doing a show with discovery here at Motobilt. And then the COVID stuff hit and those conversations completely stopped, but who knows, we may revisit something like that in the future, but you know, years ago at blue torch, I'd have been chasing that, like wanting to talk to somebody about doing it. Now it's like, you know, that's short term benefit, short term growth that, you know, you grow really big, really fast, end up with big buildings and overhead that you can't sustain the once the TV show ends. So, you know, I think it's smart just to focus on growing your business, growing your brand. And if something like that happens, it happens. But at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter yep. if we do it or not. Yeah, that's I remember the time I visited you, it was looking at a possible event site that we were going to turn into something that would be, you know, the whole television deal thing. Yeah. We uh, had filmed a pilot at blue torch back then. And, and that kind of, I don't know, kind of kept going on and on and on through the, the channels at discovery and things like that and negotiations and things until the content was pretty much outdated. Um, Some people that were involved were, like left their company and things like that. So it just kind of got dropped and, you know, unfortunately that didn't go anywhere, but you know, back then, uh, you know, man, I was really hoping it would, but hindsight, probably a good thing. It didn't. <laughs> right. I know that's same thing that I look at on some of the opportunities that, that presented themselves with us. We, we, we shot some, some stuff for some, uh, sizzle reel, and it turned out really good, but the group we were working through, um, the producers were working with um, the Weinstein group with their television side, which was yeah. just getting started, and they were all over what we wanted to do. It wasn't going to be like a result show. It was going to be a why, a why, and the dream of you know the and the the challenges to get out to do the events for the teams yeah, that- and everything. Yeah, I mean, that's more interesting to watch than just the actual rock crawling and who scored a point or didn't, you it's, know I mean? Yep. Um, and then Harvey got, and, got caught yeah. with his hands in the honey jar, you might say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I guess that pretty much squashed that. <laughs> oh, it did in a hurry. <laughs> it went from, yeah. yeah, we're doing this to, you know, like a week later, literally getting the call going, it's gone. They're going to hand yeah. us our all of our footage back and said, good luck. From, yeah. from looking at production schedules to that. I mean, it was that yeah. fast. Yeah, like, 
I don't know. I've been asked to do some TV shows. Like one of them, it was another Discovery thing. I guess it was probably around 2018, somewhere around in there. Like I had a heart attack in 2017. Wow. About died. Yeah. And then 2018, um, I got asked to go out to Texas and do some filming and be out there for like six or eight months straight. And I'm like, well, man, I can't run a business and be in Texas filming TV. So turn that down. Then another show called and said, hey, we want you to do some fab work. And Bender was in town visiting right before he was moving here. And Bender and I were standing out on the driveway, his wife and my wife standing there. And and uh, I was like, man, I can't do it. But here, talk to this guy. And the guy on the, the phone knew who Bender was from Truck Night in America. So they started talking, but that didn't really go anywhere. Like the TV show didn't, didn't happen. But there's been a lot of instances that way where we've had opportunity to do TV, but you know, I, I've got to focus on growing a business and I can't leave and go do something like that. But it's very fortunate for Bender where he can leave and go do that. Right. So then what else, what else is there with uh, your life that you'd like to share? Man, like, uh, any good stories yeah, that, that, know, are, that are, that are GP enough or, you know, <laughs> not, uh, <laughs> not above the R rating. <laughs> I mean, I feel like my life's been a roller coaster. I mean, almost like the Forrest Gump movie. Like, I've been <laughs> a lot of places and done a lot of things. Um, I, know, I talk uh, about that time when we when we came out there, Little Rich and I, and yeah. uh, we started off at Hooters with dinner <laughs> and then ended up out in the woods somewhere at that uh, double wide that uh, oh yeah was yeah. Ended up everybody being... talks about the double wide yeah <laughs> <laughs> that, that was, was uh, one of dustin webster's favorite places when he'd come out here and visit when we were building the red bull <laughs> car like that that's where he wanted to go it, yeah that was a uh, definitely a an adventure um, it was i guess the, the listeners probably wouldn't have any idea of what we're talking about but but uh yeah it, it was, was it, I'll let them know it's a, it was a, a, a strip club out in the middle of the woods and I don't know yeah. how long it took us to drive there. It seemed like it was 45 minutes, but we were having a good time on the drive and uh, yeah. it's a double wide strip club with the low ceiling and the legs cut off of the tables and chairs so that the, the, yeah. you know, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty Alabama. Is the oh, way I looked even at the it. leg cut off of a uh, leg cut off of a dancer too. I think at one point in that place. So yeah, <laughs> it was definitely definitely an adventure. Um, it seems like you know the only time I ever went there was like when people like you guys or, or people coming from some other place way away, we would end up there just for the shock factor. Exactly. Of it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. The only other place that was like that that I can remember was in Hannibal, Missouri. There was a. Uh, there was a pasties bar in there yeah. with a, you know, and it was, it was called old milts. And I think everybody nicknamed it old milfs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. You know, like, you know, I've been, been around, done a lot of road, road traveling and seen a lot of crazy things, but it's hard to beat that place. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> the memories of, I, I mean, if I ever write a book, that's going to get a chapter. Those just couple of hours are going to get a whole chapter. 
Yeah, it's chapter worthy. Um, yeah, like I remember being in there, like the black lights on, and some girl had like a scar, like starting on her face all the way across her chest or something. Looked like somebody cut her with a box cutter at some point in life. Well, the, yeah. the time we were there, there was a the girl had like a fresh wound on her back that was probably I don't know four or five inches long. That, yeah, that I had think like I the that. Yeah. like the uh, it still had the 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 stuff on it that's uh, like a Vaseline or whatever. Yeah. And then she was wearing those stripper shoes that were like five sizes too small. So her toes were curled over the end. God. Unbelievable. (laughs) I'm giving away my chapter. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You better hold on to some of those memories. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Definitely uh, made a few trips there and definitely have some good memories. Um. But yeah, I don't know, man. It's uh, it's hard to say what really stories stand out the most. I mean, I think the biggest thing from being involved in the off-road industry since probably the early 90s is pretty much everybody I'm friends with and everybody I know these days have something to do with this industry. People I've met like yourself along the way or customers that I've become very good friends with over the years or people that have ended up working for us. And it's pretty amazing to see, too, like the number of people that have worked for uh, us in the past that are now out operating their own businesses and being successful with them. So that's awesome. That is. That that means that, that you did a good job, whether you knew yeah. you trained them or not. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's awesome to see what James is doing up in Birmingham, you know, with his tuning and the dyno and, you know, just seeing his career come along. That's awesome. Uh, Matt that used to design for us at Blue Torch has his own business called Undercover Fab. Uh, he seems to be doing very well. He's uh, not too far from us here in the Dothan area, and he's still trucking on along and doing doing awesome stuff. There's quite a few others that own various types of other businesses that may you know, not necessarily off-road related, but um, very cool. Talk talk about the heart attack, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, Never really been an overweight kind of guy or felt like I was unhealthy. When I was working in Iraq, I gained some weight just eating at the chow hall at the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad. Like they fed you warfighter food, which high calorie, packed on some weight. But I think my work ethic over the years played a big role in that just from I went years like sleeping three hours a night. And yeah, I mentioned earlier in the conversation that type of work will catch up with you. And when I started Motobuilt, I started doing the same thing, just working around the clock, you know, getting to bed at like one or two in the morning and back at it at like five in the morning. And then one Sunday I was sitting watching TV, getting ready to go to bed. And I was like, man, my back hurts a little bit. I think I might have pulled something and kind of thinking about that for a little bit. And I laid down to go to bed and kind of hurt real bad. And I sat up like, Oh man, this sucks. This hurts. Sat there for a few minutes and then I laid back down and it hit me like a freaking freight train. Felt like somebody stuck a hatchet in my back. And I sat up immediately and that's when my arm was hurting and basically got in the truck and luckily lived close to a hospital, drove straight there, went in the emergency room and the people just looked at me walking in. They didn't even like slow down to talk to me. I was found myself in a one of the rooms in the emergency room there hooking wires up and cutting my clothes off. And 
Um, it went from like three or four people to like 15 people in there in a matter of a couple minutes and 10 minutes or 15 minutes later, I'm in an operating room and they're slitting me down in my leg to go put a stent in. I, my, when I'm on the operating table, uh, I remember recall a nurse like getting down in my face and saying, Hey Dan, I need you to cough. I need you to cough right now. And I like took a breath to cough and yeah, that was uh, my heart stopping. That's when those things that were taped to my chest lit me up like a Christmas tree. And it felt like it separated my body from my soul. It hurt so bad, like when wow. they shot me. But, um, you know, during that time, like going into the hospital with those pain, I was hurting so bad thinking, man, I wish they'd give me something for the pain. I was laying there on the operating table and the pain subsided like oh finally they gave me something for pain i didn't I don't know what they did but the pain's going away now when the pain going away that was just my heart stopping like going into afib oh, Jesus. And, yeah and after they shocked me the pain was back and then the doctor he went in there and put the stent it was the uh, widow maker the lad and when he put the stent in the pain went away and <laughs> long story short the the surgery process was over and a nurse comes up to me while i'm kind of laying on the table in a hallway waiting to go back to her room and she leans down and she goes what did it feel like i've never seen anybody get shocked while they're awake like that i was like just looked at her like holy fuck it hurt excuse my <laughs> language but oh god i would not recommend that to anybody alive <laughs> yeah wow but i mean but yeah i mean luckily I was at the hospital. The cardiologist kind of came, we talked and he goes, you know, I thought you were on like drugs or something. Like I asked everybody in your family, they kept saying you're not on drugs. I had them do a drug test, you know, like I just don't understand somebody young like you and, and you know, how you look, this, this doesn't make sense. And, uh, but no, never done drugs in my life or anything like that. And he's like, man, you're like a two percenter. If you wouldn't have gotten the truck and drove up here, you would have died waiting on an ambulance. He's like, I absolutely don't recommend you get in the truck and drive here, having a heart attack like that. I recommend, you know, people call an ambulance so that they have like some type of life support there. But man, if you would have done it, you would have died waiting on the ambulance. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. So, um, changed my life a little bit after that. I still kind of worked some crazy hours when I got going back at it. And then, um, just kind of came to the realization I couldn't keep living that way. I needed to do something different. And Hunter, she's been a big part of that, like changing my life where I don't work crazy hours like that. Well, so, I'm glad you survived. Yeah. I mean, me too. <laughs> I feel like I'm a much, much better parent to my kids and a much better uh, spouse to my wife and everything else now. And right? How I old are you? Life and how old are your kids? Um, I have my son. He just turned 21 this month. Uh, my daughter, um, she'll be 18 in September. And then have a stepdaughter that's nine. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, where are they? Where do you think your son is heading? What's what's his goal? My son, my son is more interested in becoming like a home builder and buying foreclosure properties and flipping them. So he's learning to do that with his grandparents. Okay. Um, you know, I've told him if he decides this is what he wants to do, I'll teach him everything I know here, but you know, I'm not, I don't want to force him into it or encourage him to do something he doesn't want to do. So 
you know, I'm kind of letting him find his own way in life a little bit, but we're here if he wants to be here. Cool. And how about the daughter? I'm not sure what Ella wants to do yet. She's still in high school and she seems to be more in, interested in building like video game stuff. She's already making money building um, character stuff for some different video games. So oh, excellent. She, okay. Seems kind of interesting, but I don't know if that's what she wants to do for a career. She hasn't said. I think it's just something she likes to do right now. Excellent. And of course, the nine-year-old has no clue what she wants to do yet except grow up. She says she wants to be a lawyer and become a judge. Yeah, she wants to be a judge. <laughs> Good. That's bet. Yeah, I know you got to take your steps and you know become a lawyer first, and then you know become a judge. Yeah. But uh, you know that's that's if if she's young like that and that's what she wants to do, you know that's that's awesome. You know. Yeah, she loves to watch uh, Judge Judy or something like that with her grandmother, and and like predict how the case is going to go like as if she were a judge she's <laughs> right most of the time <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome yeah well cool so um yeah i don't know what other questions i have for you we've kind of covered the spectrum yeah i mean it's been a long crazy career I mean, I've seen a lot of things come and go in this industry and a lot of people come and go. And like you mentioned, I think this will be what I do until I'm done. So one way or another, I'll be involved in off-roading, even if it's kind of a semi-retire and let somebody run this place, I'll be off wheeling somewhere, which I guess that it, that does bring up one last topic we could talk about. You know, sure. People ask me all the time, like, hey, man, how often do you go wheeling? And my response is, I really haven't been wheeling since the leaving the Vegas Dorino race in 2009. My last time, like, really wheeling was, like, at the Hammers, probably 2009. Wow. My focus has been solely on building a business and not getting out and wheeling and things like that. But the YJ that I'm building and the Gladiator that I'm building, I'm planning to take both of those two events. My wife and I, we're going to change up a bit and start traveling and go to wheeling events and things like that and get back out and get to the roots of what started me in this industry, which was the love for wheeling and getting out and talking to the people and doing stuff like that. So you guys will probably see us out at some events later this year and next year um, with the YJ and with the Gladiator. That'd be awesome. That's great. Yeah, you so need that, to get out. Yeah, I think that's probably, you know, like talking about goals, that's one of, I guess, a personal goal right now. It's just to get back out and, and go wheeling. I mean, I've been wheeling a little bit, but, you know, some since 2009, but I wouldn't necessarily compare it to wheeling that I used to do, if that makes sense. Right. I mean, going to some of the smaller off-road parks in the area or even going to some of the bigger ones for vendor-type stuff isn't like what back in the day, you know, like load up and go hope you get it back on the trailer by the time the weekend's over, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I just so, did a trip like that. <laughs> yeah. But this YJ that I'm building, I've kind of pulled out all the stops, putting it together and man, big horsepower is pretty much a rock bouncer with a YJ body. And I'm looking forward to having some fun. I want to hit places like get back out to Las Cruces. I want to go to Easter Jeep next year with it and get back out to the Hammers. Um, in this long career I've had in the off-road industry, I've never been to the to the Rubicon, so definitely want to get out there with it and uh, go wheeling. 
Well, when you decide to come to the Rubicon, let me know. I'll do that. Because I, it's, that's the trail I grew up on back in the, in the, well, mid eighties. Yep. Yeah. There were a lot of opportunities even during the blue torch days to go there, but it's just kind of so busy with working and everything else. It's kind of hard to get out there and do some of those things, but. I'm certainly looking forward to getting back out that way and getting in the desert some and tearing up a few things on the rocks. So that'd be a good time. Absolutely. Sounds great. Well, excellent, Dan. I want to say thank you so much for, for spending some time. I know we've been bouncing this for, I don't know, four or five weeks trying to find the time when both of us could uh, be available. And uh, I'm glad we were able to spend some time and get caught up. Yeah, man, absolutely. Well, you know, if you and the wife are ever out this way, you're certainly welcome to uh, come stay a day or two and hang out and catch up. And I'll do the same, man. I'll hit you up if we're out that way. Sounds great. I appreciate it. All right. You All take right, care. Man. Say All hello right. to everybody there for me, too. I'll do it. I'll uh, I'll uh, thump Bender in the ear or something tell him hi. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take care then, Dan. Thank you. Okay, man. Thank you. Bye. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Well, that's another episode of Conversations with Big Rich. I'd like to thank you all for listening. If you could do us a favor and uh, leave us a review on any podcast service that you happen to be listening on, or send us an email or a text message or a Facebook message, and let me know uh, any ideas that you have, or if there's anybody that you have that you think would be a great guest, please forward the contact information to me so that we can uh, try to get them on. And always remember... Live life to the fullest. Enjoying life is a must. Follow your dreams and live life with all the gusto you can. Thank you.